Hello, everybody. Welcome to the CC Delco podcast. My name is Taylor McCahan, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where we aim to go deeper than we can on a Sunday morning on a wide variety of topics. Today's episode is with Pastor Bob Caglione and Anna Walker-Roberts, our small groups and extension campus director. And today they are talking about the American gospel. So sit back, listen up, and be blessed. So, Bob, I'm, I'm going to read a description for you to kind of kick off what we're talking about today, contextualize it for people who are listening. So here it is. Maybe you can guess what description I'm reading while I'm reading it. Is Christianity Christ plus the American dream? The American gospel examines how prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement, has distorted the gospel message and how this theology is being exported abroad. This feature length film is the first in a series. So probably you figured out that we're talking about American Gospel, the documentary. You've watched this film. What were some of your takeaways from your initial look at it? Well, my first takeaway is I lived it. Uh, I became a Christian in the early 80s. Uh, The man who led me to Christ took me to a church that, and again, it has many names, a name it and claim it doctrine, prosperity gospel, the word of faith. Um. The distinction, however, is that in your local expressions, at least uh, this was my experience, it's like any other church. There's potlucks, there's children's ministry, people love each other. But somehow this ministry gets tagged on or this theology gets tagged on. And, and, I, and I think you see it in the televangelist at a high level. Uh, it's deceptive. It's difficult to leave. It preys on new believers and people maybe caught up in fundamentalism or who are looking for like a, like a, a brighter side of God. But, uh, but my second takeaway is, uh, having lived it, I think once you get out of it, you think it, it ends and it doesn't. So, so this documentary comes out, I'm 40 years removed from this. And you keep forgetting that this just keeps continuing and people keep getting caught up. So uh, just a reminder that uh, this kind of stuff's still out there. So you were led to faith by someone who's part of this movement. Is your feeling that there's maybe a, a group of people who are involved with it that truly have the best intentions and you know are wanting to have a relationship with God and experience him? And maybe there's a group of people who are involved with it that are deceitful or seeking riches in some way or they're profiting off of it? Are there, are there two camps or more than two camps or, you know, how did you see that play out? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, I'm in the camp of someone who genuinely becomes a believer. I don't know much about the Bible. And, and so I'm taught this theology. And even while you're taught this theology, there's, there's things in your spirit. Like, so almost every week it was about prosperity or healing. And I'm thinking, well, I'm 22 years old. I don't, need healing and and coming to Christ I don't want to be rich it's it's like coming to Christ uh, riches faded I was already on that path so that was confusing um, then I think there's people who genuinely um, it, it's kind of like all these books you might see in Barnes and Noble the secret or how to how think and grow rich there's a there's a subset of people who really you know materialism um is their gain or their goal 
And then I think there's people who are just um, caught in between. Uh, the, the thing that shocks me is uh, it's very hard to read scripture for a long period of time and not come to a conclusion uh, this doesn't square. Uh, I, I just think of Philippians 4, where Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord for the care that the Philippian church had given him time and again. He said, even though they lacked opportunity, he said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer need, and I can do all things through Christ it strengthens me. Paul said he had to learn to be content. It doesn't come natural. And that he had experienced times of poverty and times of of, of what he called abounding. So uh, he writes later to Timothy that tell those who are rich in this world not to trust in riches, but to trust in God and to do good work. So, so you know, yeah, I think I think it would be you'd be hard pressed at some point to read scripture and say this doesn't square with scripture. So in the prosperity gospel movement and what is exposed in the documentary, I, I think there's kind of these two different things that are promised that when you become a Christian, you will be healed of all ailments on earth. And if you believe hard enough or pray hard enough, then God will heal you. And then there's kind of the if you ask for these things or follow God well enough, you will obtain riches in this life. So let's go down the healing road for a minute. There are healings in the Bible. We see Jesus heal people. We see the disciples heal people. How do you discern between something that's like an authentic healing and something that is maybe not authentic, that's, that's kind of added on to the gospel? So what I believe, I believe heal, I believe God heals. Um, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I, I look in Scripture and mainly what Paul writes in Corinthians. And I think there's even people that have gift of healing. Um, I believe in James, call for the elders of the church. Uh, so I believe God heals. I think in the Word of Faith, the Prosperity Gospel, what they do is they tie healing to the atonement. So they look at Isaiah 53, that by his stripes we are healed, and they tie spiritual health or spiritual renewal to to healing of our physical bodies now again scripture you know we know job right god allowed satan to afflict him so god allowed that um there are verses in the god in the old testament where god said he made the blind he made the lame uh david when his son was afflicted was fasting when the child died david asked his servant to make him a meal. And they said, well, wait a minute, 30 seconds ago, you were in sackcloth and ashes. Now you're you're wanting to eat. And he said, well, while the child was alive, I didn't know if God would be gracious. But now the child's died. Job said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. So, so the problem with all these doctrines is there's a kernel of truth. Yes, God heals. Does he heal all the time? No. Do we, do we understand why? No. Um, but... But while a person's afflicted, we will always pray for healing. If the person is not healed, then we leave that with God. The problem in the Word of Faith movement or the healing movement or whatever you want to call it 
is that if healing doesn't take place, someone's at fault. It can only be God or the person. Where the error really gets into what I would call malpractice is if we blame the person, we then have to say they didn't have enough faith or they didn't confess enough. There's always something you haven't done. And, you know, as a pastor, as a friend, as a human being, I've walked people through that and it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. And and I think anytime you put somebody on the side where they're responsible, right, where they, they didn't put a law into effect, I mean, I think it diminishes our relationship with God. So in the documentary, they feature a woman who is sick and doesn't ever experience healing, but has a relationship with Christ. Also Matt Chandler, who had brain cancer and was miraculously healed from it. And Nabil Qureshi, who had cancer and was not healed from it. So we kind of see play out in real time, almost that mystery of who gets healed and who doesn't. And what does that mean about God and how do we respond to it? For people who are living with a chronic illness or some kind of illness and they want to be healed, right? That's like a natural human response to want to experience healing or want your loved one to experience healing. And so in that moment, I understand the temptation of feeling like I want to believe that God will bring healing on earth. What is your hopeful answer for people knowing that we may not see healing on earth? What is like the real hope that they will experience through Jesus? You know, John Piper wrote a book one time, titled God is the Gospel. And I think when all of us came to faith in Christ, it was the gospel, it was the good news, it was that God was the God of salvation, that that he was real, the Bible was true. That's what drew all of us. I don't think, and I think some people might go down this road where they contract an illness and now they're looking for God. But I think genuinely the draw is to know God and the power of his resurrection. Now, once you know God, there's, there's, there's things God has for us. So what I would tell that person is that, that, first of all, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. There's people that live to 100. There's people that, Nabil Koresh, he dies at 32. Uh, no one's promised tomorrow. G.K. Chesterton said, you know, he talks about the beautiful things he experienced in a day, why does God give us two? Uh, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. There's coming a day where men are going to take you where you don't want to go. He was crucified upside down. He became a martyr. So the rain falls on the just and the unjust. If, if all Christians were always healed, I think in the judgment, um, you know, people could say to God, well, you healed all Christians, right? So, you know, yeah, these are mysteries, right? And, and I would tell a person, look, we're all going to live in eternity. There's, there's, we're all going to have new bodies. There's, there, there is something for all of us, but this very short life uh, doesn't work out that way. Mm. So that's kind of the, the healing path. Yeah. So going down the, the riches or tangible attainment of objects path, so there is some versions of prosperity gospel that say if you follow God or if you do X, Y, and Z, you will have wealth. Um, and we even see some of the people who are leading saying that, who have these huge mansions, huge churches, super nice cars, stay in fancy hotels, 
and they dig into that in the documentary. What is your word to Christians about attaining tangible things in this life? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, obviously God knows those things that we need. Um, Jesus said, you know, there, there, there's a baseline of necessity, right? I, I think one of the problems that you're seeing in the American gospel is that they're using what I would call concordance theology. So I don't even think anybody uses a concordance anymore. I guess you could just type it into Google. But in a concordance, you would look up the word rich, and there'd be 40 appearances, and the concordance would tell you all those places in Scripture. And so what these teachings do, they build a theology not on exegesis, which is pulling out of Scripture or in context, but it's eisegesis reading in the Scripture. So, for instance, they'll tell you that Abraham was rich, and he was. And Solomon was rich, and he, and he was. And, and then they'll go to Scriptures like in Luke, where Jesus said, Given, and shall be given to you. Men, you know, press, shake down, rolling over, press down, whatever. Shake and press down, yeah. running over. <laughs> yeah, men will give to you um, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Um, you know, they'll, they'll take all these verses, put them all together and say, you're a king's kid and God wants you to be rich. Now, the truth is Proverbs, which by the way, isn't theology. Proverbs is, uh, is the way life generally should go. So cast your water, you know, bread on many waters. In other words, don't put all your hope in one area. So if you, if you save up, obviously you're going to have money if you're diligent you work hard you, you know you're going to save up for a rainy day or follow the pattern of an ant the, the, that's all you know general knowledge from the mind of god that if you're prudent if you work on your skill things will work out for you you know the hand of the generous man will always be filled you know there is absolutely god telling us that we should get involved and we should give. And, you know, Malachi does say that if we give, God will prosper so we can give more. Where these Word of Faith teachers take it is, you know, and it's couched in your, your, your giving so God will give you more so you can give more. It's like this cycle, but it spins way beyond uh, anything that you'd find in Scripture. Yeah, in my life, I feel like I've experienced that having more often leads to having more problems or having more stress or having more worry that we see Jesus live incredibly minimally, you know, the disciples as well, just they don't have a lot of things or objects that they've attained. So I think someplace where people may struggle as Christians is like, what if I have a job where I have obtained wealth, you know, I have a high power job. And that's a thing that comes along with it. How do I navigate being wealthy and being a Christian in maybe the way that Solomon or King David or Abraham or some of those people did, is it sinful in itself to be wealthy? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I think generally when you see people with wealth, I mean, if it wasn't passed down or, you know, you know, people have gifts and intelligence and, you know, they diligently apply themselves and, some people really do have the gift of making money. Like we forget, some, you know, uh, giving is a spiritual gift. We see it in Romans 12, 
But I, everybody I know that has a spiritual gift of giving has a spiritual gift of making money. Some people are just good at making money. Some people work really hard. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the Bible, uh, again, I, I quoted that verse in Timothy, tell those who are rich in this age to be generous and such. In nowhere does the Bible teach socialism or communism. Um, every man under his vine and his fig tree, I think, is 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 one of the beautiful scriptures from the Old Testament. Jesus told parables that, that were very capitalistic. He told other ones that were a little more socialistic. He told parables that were very Eastern, very Western. Um, the ability of a man to pay people for working, whether they worked a part of the day or, or, or a longer part of the day. Uh, there's people in scripture that financed Jesus' ministry that had wealth. So the question is, are you seeking God or are you seeking, right, riches? It's not the money, it's the love yeah. of money. That yeah, is it's the, the love of, of money that's the root of all evil. Uh, scripture talks about, you know, um, working hard to put money in bags that have holes mm. where it, it's just going to fade away. You know, I told a story this past Sunday, I got an opportunity to play Pebble Beach there was a donor who was very generous that gave money to a ministry to let pastors golf. And while we were golfing, the caddy was telling us how much money and who lived in these homes. And this home was $35 million, Another home was $35 million, And the guy gutted it and put another $35 million in. And, you know, the old adage, are those people going to take it with them? You know, um, Lord, give me... Don't give me so little that I'll curse you. Don't give me too much that I'll fall away from you. I think, I think most Christ followers look. We all want to put our kids to college. We we like nice cars um, uh, and things, but at the end of the day, our trust can't be in those things. Yeah, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who you kind of pointed out his book Sabbath to me, has another book called I Asked for Wonder, and it gets at this idea that you know he was a Hasidic rabbi. In New York City, and the one thing that he prayed for, asking God, was not things, but this. Yeah. He just wanted to be in in awe and wonder right. of God, and that kind of prayer, I think, can be helpful in combating. Yeah, you know. and you can get into a poverty mentality, right? You can get in the other side's not great either. One, I I don't have a lot of regrets for starting my faith in the prosperity gospel because it pointed me to the God of abundance, which God is. You you look in the garden, there's a variety of fruits. You look at our world, there's there's abundance, it's teeming. So when you walk in slums or you see extreme poverty, it was never meant to be that way. So we have to be careful that we don't have a poverty mentality. You know, Jesus had nowhere to lay his, le his head at night. Um, by every measure, Jesus uh, didn't have things of this world, but he could have called 10,000 angels. Um, he, he could get tax money out of a fish. He was setting an example. So we want to make sure we don't swing the other way and think that God is um, a God who wants us to live in a poverty. We certainly wouldn't want that for our kids. I think God smiles when we enjoy things. One of the things you have to remember, it's called the American gospel because it can basically only work in America, right? So, you know, I got a job. Did I get a job because I because God blessed me or because I live in America? Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the world wants what we have. 
The tragic thing is you can go to the poorest parts of the world and see these books about getting rich um, because these people really do want what we have here in America. And I'll say this also, um, the reason why it works for these guys at the head of ministries, driving Rolls Royces and flying Lear jets and all, is because they're at the top of the Ponzi scheme. Right, they're they're the ones that people are giving the money to. So, again, um, God is a God of abundance, but whenever I see people living at a real high level, it's a warning sign to me because, again, riches bring a lot of deceit. So I have a couple more questions. Um, so I was reading a book recently, and in it there was a guy from Kenya who came over to study at Fuller Seminary. And eventually he was like, I just feel like I can't be here anymore. I can't do it. And his professor was asking him why, you know, what's wrong? Is, are you not getting out of your classes what you want? And he said, no, I just, I don't know how to be a Christian here. You know, I trusted God for every meal living in the place where I grew up. And now that I have everything, I feel like I'm not trusting him anymore. I've heard other kind of similar stories from missionaries, people that have served in China and the underground church. And then, you know, you come back to America so this documentary points out the, the flaws of the American gospel in ways that maybe the church or the prosperity gospel movement has um, failed and undermined what the real Christianity is. Do you have a, like a picture of how to be an actual Christian in America? What would be the hopeful version of the American gospel? Well, I, I think it's, it's more difficult to live with prosperity than, than to have lack. Um, so my wife and I, when we got married, we were raising young kids. We She stayed at home. And, you know, we had to believe God for a lot of things. Now, I still went to work. We still tried, She worked a few side jobs. And it was amazing. You know, like there was a time we could point to all the furniture in our house and say, oh, we got it from here. We got it there. And our kids got into this school. We could always tell these God stories, right? Now I'm in a season of life where I could probably go out and buy some of the things I want. I think when you have prosperity, you have to you have to almost guard against it. It's kind of like fasting, right? We have such an abundance of food. I think the spiritual discipline of fasting, where we purposely, you know, lack for food and feel the hunger pangs, brings us to a reality. And I think we have to do the same in you know as a Christian living in a world of abundance. I can stop at a convenience store three in the morning and get anything I want. Is that really good for me? I can go buy a new set of golf clubs every year. Is that really what God desires for me? Do I need the best car, the biggest home? Um, you know, I, I, I th again, and and then there's that whole idea of giving, right? I think, I think our whole life is. You know, Jesus said we're sending money to a place where rust doesn't destroy and thieves don't break in the steel. I think every time we give, we break the back of Satan. We break the back of more. Um, and we get in line with the things that God is doing. So that, that would be my advice. So you've brought up multiple times different scriptures that have pointed you to truth in this area. It sounds like you were struggling when you first came to faith to reconcile what you were reading in the Bible and what you were experiencing in the church that you were in. 
So can you talk a little bit about the practice of reading the Bible and how seeking truth through that can help bring clarity to whether or not the theology of the community or church that you are in is lining up with scripture? Yeah, so, you know, we believe in the systematic teaching of God's Word. We have nothing against series. I teach series. But somehow when you get into the Word of God, what Paul called the full counsel of the Word of God, it's hard to hobby horse around pet doctrines like prosperity or healing. So if I'm teaching, you know, let's say uh, through the New Testament, what well, well, you know, I'm eventually going to get to the place where Paul had the thorn in his flesh and prayed three times that it would be alleviated, and it wasn't. I'm going to get to the places where Paul talked about, you know, the poverty he had lived in. Um, I'm going to read about Job and what happened to him. So, you know, I think every Christian really needs a systematic Bible study plan because, again, I think a lot of these things, teachings prey on people with very little Bible literacy. And so you can say Abraham was rich, but never tell them about Job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and even when, and even when, you know, you bring up Job, they'll say Job lacked faith. See, again, it comes back to somebody has to be at fault. Uh, you know, Job said, you know, it, the scripture says when Job said, naked I came in this world and Naked I'll leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. He has given, he has taken away. The Bible said, and and in all those things, Job never sinned in what he said. So the idea that he didn't have enough faith is absurd. It's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, I think a systematic reading of the Word of God and sitting under the teaching of the Word of God should make questions arise and should bring you to logical conclusions on these matters. So my last question is sometimes when we get involved in something that um, turns out to not be true. So whether it's some kind of marketing scheme or if it's a prosperity gospel or something that doesn't live up to our expectations in some way, we can feel ashamed that we've been duped in some way. It can make you feel stupid um, it can make you feel embarrassed and be tricky to get out of. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about like how you went from being in the prosperity gospel to not for people who are hearing this or watching American gospel. And I have a good friend who watched it and really struggled with feeling like, oh, I've been watching a lot of these teachers and I didn't see through the sham and now I feel embarrassed. Yeah, like I said, um, it's funny, like I'll talk to people who watch it from a distance and, and think they were smart enough to not get into it. Again, you have to remember, this is a spiritual dynamic. I'm a brand new Christian, and these people are real Christians. I think the majority of them are. And you have to remember, you know, there, there's weeks where we're talking about loving your husband and being a Christian and... and you know, we're, they're teaching the Bible about Jesus, etc. So it's not, so you got to remember, it's laced through all of this. And, and when you first start to see that there's cracks in the dam, you get very defensive. So I, I read Dave Hunt's book, The Seduction of Christianity. And I remember reading it thinking, well, who's this guy who thinks he has all the answers? Mm -hmm. um, so that's your first reaction. And then, you know, God begins to do some more work, and it, it's really hard to get out. 
It really is. Um, you can read all the against books you want, but there is no antidote for just reading the scriptures and sitting in a place where the Bible's taught. But yeah, I never look back and say, well, I was duped. I actually look at it like it was my seminary because I have more compassion for people that are in it. And more and more, I realize as a pastor, I have to make sure I'm talking about these things. You know, Paul in in the book of Acts meets with the Ephesian elders and he's in tears that grievous wolves had come in, not sparing the flock. So false doctrine is always going to be around. This stuff's going to cycle in and out. That's why I watch the American Gospel. It's a wake-up call that, oh my gosh, my people are probably reading books like this. So, um, But we have to be on guard for it. Thank you, Pastor Rob, for sharing all of your thoughts about that. We recommend that if you want to see more about American Gospel, you can check it out on Netflix. There's also a second installment of it out that focuses more on the crucifixion of Christ and how we sometimes water that down in the church. And we thank you for joining us today on the CC Delco podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, head to ccdelco.com to stay up to date with all of our sermons, our resources, all the events that are going on at Calvary Chapel of Delaware County. We'll see you at our next episode and we pray that you're blessed this week.